Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is the second half of our reboot of our first ever podcast, Marie Antoinette, from way back in 2011. Let's begin with a quick recap of what we've already talked about. 14-year-old Archduchess Maria Antonia has left her mother and her native Austria to go and marry the 15-year-old heir to the throne of France. The formality and politics of Marie Antoinette's new home are really getting her down. Worst of all, she and her husband Louis do not seem to be able to consummate their marriage after many years. What is to become of her? We shall see. Now on with the show. Now, Marie Antoinette became the queen quite early. She was only 19 when Grandpa King died after a bout with smallpox. And, of course, husband Louis was immediately the king, and he and Marie Antoinette fell to their knees and said, God help us, we are too young to reign. And that could not have been a more true statement. Basically, Louis, age 20, became the victim of his advisors. He was so indecisive, and those older politicos knew well how to manipulate old boy to get what they wanted. He was just not a powerful force at all. Uh, Marie Antoinette was actually not crowned at the coronation. Uh, mm-hmm. Symbolic or not, technically an unconsummated royal marriage meant, like you said earlier, technically Louis could send her back to Austria. Nevertheless... One of the perks of being the queen, no longer were the scary and scold the old ladies in charge. She was able to raise her best friends and confidants. There were two main ones. Mm -hmm. The Princess de Lumball, who had married into a legitimized royal branch, so she's actually related to Grandpa King. And the Duchess de Polignac, who was very, very Versailles, should we say. Uh, Super louche, super naughty. So you've got Lumball. Regarded as an angel by everyone she met on one shoulder, and you've got Miss Sass Mafras on the other side as the devil telling her to do naughty stuff. I actually think that's brilliant friend choosing. You want them both. They're both very important in your life, and that's what she had here, I think. I guess so. I guess so. I wonder, like Princess Limbal and the and Polignac, would they have been friends without Marie Antoinette? They're not very alike at all. No, threes are hard. You need that buffer? Yeah. We, yeah, threes of... I'm sorry. I, I hate to be sexist. And maybe it's this way with men, but I'm not a man, so I don't know male friendships too well. But three in a friendship is a very awkward number. <laughs> um, so during her early reign, Marie Antoinette had been very, very popular with the people. She really did some nice things. Can we please put this propaganda out there right now? She stopped her carriage once to help a wounded man, staying until she was sure he had been helped by the proper authorities she didn't have to do that. She could have run him over with her carriage, and nobody would have blinked the eye. Nope, left him That's in the how it was. She didn't. She all but adopted a little peasant boy. She provided for him and his family. She got him an education. She got him a trade. She gave lots of money to charities. She had her pet ones, um, most of whom had to do with mothers and children. She was so fond of children. Her household's children were welcome in her rooms. Everyone's kids and dogs were jumbling around. Well, the whole thing's not so bad if you have a team of cleaners to come in right back after all the kids and dogs. (laughs) And there's no Legos or Barbie shoes. Oh, yeah. Or beneficial. What is this around your house? Those Nerf nerf darts. darts. (laughs) Your son is very thorough. I'm impressed. There there are Nerf darts all over this house. Up the steps. Up the steps, in the heating vents. It's to the point where I'm like, I just let them lie because they reappear the next day, so cleaning them yeah. up is ridiculous. ridiculous. 
And you know what? Someday he's going to be off at college and you're going to find them and you're going to be like, oh, remember when you were 10? Someday we'll have to call a repairman and he will go, you know, you have 9,000 Nerf darts in here. And we'll go, oh, and then we'll find all the baby socks in the washer. That'll be a good day. Yeah, that will be. So, of course, Marie Antoinette was never, never, ever going to have children if we couldn't get this bedroom problem figured out. And finally, Mama, back in Austria, freaked out and sent her co-regent, her oldest son, Joseph. So this is the emperor, emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor is sent over to France to find out what is going on and fix it. Okay, what? (laughs) Okay, well, somebody's going to have to, so he's smart enough to do it, so he takes Louis off on a little walk. Brother-in-law to brother-in-law, talk, man, and ah, they must have been some kind of frank conversation, because almost immediately Marie Antoinette was pregnant. Yay! Good work, Joseph, whatever you said. Uh, nobody knows what they said, but there are theories that they spoke about animals. Perhaps there was a visual aid. Or keys and locks. Louis liked to work with keys and locks because he is that kind of nerd and he couldn't code as computers had not yet been invented. <laughs> but keys and locks are fascinating and, and they have many similarities to yes. what needs to be worked worked out, my friend. So, whatever they talked about, hooray. So anyway, Marie Antoinette's daughter, it was a daughter, by the way, which was not really what the country was hoping for after eight years of waiting, but she was born, and Marie Antoinette was thrilled. She was so happy. She is reported to say, Poor little girl, you are not what was desired, but you are no less dear to me. A son would have been property of the state, but you shall be mine. I know, I love that too. The court called her an indulgent mother because she wanted to be with her child all the time. Don't worry, Marie. I get accusations of helicoptering all the time. I'm with you. You're supposed to just hand the child off to the governess of the children of France, one of those hereditary posts that Versailles was so famous for. Well, is that person fit to raise children? It wasn't even a consideration. So when the governess unexpectedly went bankrupt and had to leave court, Marie Antoinette took that opportunity to make some enemies by nominating her friend, the Duchess de Polignac, who had children herself to the post, bypassing whoever was next in line, of course, for the honor. But who can blame her? I mean, given the opportunity, she wanted to pick who her kid's nanny was, just like moms today. Well, all the nobility blamed her, evidently. The murmurs of discontent began. This is Versailles. Madame, you you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You guys shot your face. Also, Louis gave her a little retreat called the Petit Trianon to get away from the formality of this court. And she could hide there. It's like her little, I want to run away. And then she had a place to run away. It was a small mansion, which is an oxymoron to me. <laughs> but it had been built by Grandpa King for his mistress, Madame Pompadour, which is another episode. She never got to see it, though. No. It wasn't done when she died. No. But husband Louis gave it to Marie as her little playhouse. What do they call those things? Push presents or something? Oh, I don't know. I didn't get one. I mean, like the what? rings. They weren't fashionable then. No, they were fashionable in my life. They were? Oh, oh well, I yeah. hadn't ever heard of I them. I had friends who got jewelry. I got nothing. Oh, well. I got a baby. Well, there you go. That's the big <laughs> prize. I think so. So Louis knew that Versailles was making her very unhappy. He was used to it. He'd been brought up there, but he could tell that she just... <laughs> It was just making her, giving her agita every day. And this is like the beginning of tenderness between them, I think. He recognized that and had in his power to fix it for her. So he gave her 
the petite tree and on. They had separate interests anyway. He wanted to read and hunt, and she wanted to frolic and dance and have a lot of people around that she chose herself and listen to music and lay on the grass away from everybody. They just, it's fine. It worked out great. She actually brought about a change in fashion around this time to go along with her new retreat. A few years into being a mother, she was favoring this loose, simpler style, less layers, less corsetry, easier to move around with, you know, mostly white muslin over the head with a colorful sash, you know, different colors for different days. We probably still think this is an excess of clothes, but by the standards of the day, this was practically a nightgown. So there she was frolicking the fields with her friends in her nightgown, pretty much, but hey, it was mom clothes, you know? Sometimes you gotta change with your body. <laughs> is this the yoga pant of the oh, 1700s? Maybe. Oh, maybe. It's certainly not the leggings, which are not pants. Yes. From on high, we have hereby decreed. <laughs> Although we went through it in the 80s. But I think I had a huge, giant sweater. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the tunics came down, like, mid-thigh at the at yeah. that time. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Look at us, old fogies. In yeah. my day! Back in that! Yeah. There was a phenomenon, a fashion, about this time called, please, please, forget the rustiness of my French, nostalgie de la boue. Hmm. Would you like a croissant with your accent, Beckett? <laughs> but um, it means nostalgia for the mud. All across the country, aristocratic women were putting up these little hamos or hamlets, basically little model villages or farms where they'd do things like hire peasants to bathe the pigs so they wouldn't be gross and tie little ribbons on their tails and wash the eggs and put them back under the chickens. Playing peasant. They could go to the real village and experience real life is okay. You know, nothing was stinky, and they drank all the milk out of Sev porcelain, by the way. There was, in Marie Antoinette's own little hamo, a woman who was employed to do nothing but bake bread all day, just in case the queen and her friends might decide to stop by, and then it would smell like that. So nice, like fresh baking through the air. Like when you stage a house, you should bake. Oh. Or at least melt some chocolate chip scentsies. <laughs> I really hope somebody got to eat all that nice bread. I hope it wasn't given to the pigs. That would be mad. But there was pigs. I know, but I, they could eat pig food. Yeah, I'm going to guess. What's pig food? I don't even know. I think pigs eat anything. They're supposedly very mean animal. I have no personal experience with them. Like the like farm pigs. I'm not, I'm not talking those little house pigs. Pre-bacon pigs. They're mm. supposed to be very mean. <laughs> if they're mean, we feel less guilty about eating their bacon. That's right. If they were nice, we'd be conflicted. That's right. I am not conflicted about bacon at all. So basically, uh, Marie Antoinette is very, very familiar with Disneyland peasants, which is as close as she ever got to any real ones up to now, and she's not unusual in this blissful ignorance of reality, which, of course, is part of the problem. Marie Antoinette was almost certainly unaware of the extreme debt that France was staggering under, due in part to all the financial and military help that France had sent to America during the American Revolution. Oops. Mostly so that Louis' advisors could give the finger to the British. But hey, you know, thanks a lot That's for a all that. a very expensive finger. Yeah. But, I mean, we're grateful over here. Yeah, thanks and sorry. Yeah, oops. 
And a war uh, that France was in just before they were married, in fact, the one that made Austria and France friends again, was still not paid for. That's Mm -hmm. a legacy that had nothing to do with Louis, that had nothing to do with Marie Antoinette. It had nothing to do with them. No, not at all. But it was was pressing down on them. Yeah. Yeah. But she is so oblivious to it all that she spends about six million in today's dollars redecorating La Petite Trianon and... It didn't look good. No. You know, against the poor harvests, which have kept coming... And increased taxes to pay all that debt, again, most of which, well, half of which, mm-hmm. had nothing to do with them. Uh, I have to say that her spending habits were starting to attract some notice. But no one around her was any better. No. But she was the face that was on all the publicity that was going around, all the slanderous pamphlets. Well, she's the foreigner. Yeah. You know, she's oh, the yeah. foreigner. We can't blame our own selves. You, you yeah. know. Louis wasn't the only one that was raised to distrust Austrians. Uh-huh. Uh, lots of people were, and she was that Austrian woman. So Marie Antoinette began to spend a lot of time at the Petit Trianon, and everybody's looking at her with who? Doing what? The usual suspects, you know, high-ranking courtiers, just weren't being invited. You can't untrain the jealousy out of people who freaked out about who got to sit on a stool and who didn't. And about this time, <laughs> along comes a dashing Swede named Axel von Fersen. Oh, Axel von Fersen. They did indeed meet at a masked ball, and he was nobility and a soldier, and he was a frequent guest at Versailles. Now, the rumors flew. Uh, did they or didn't they? Well, you can find plenty of sources that say no. Uh, she did need to be careful if she did, because without a boy or two or three up in the nursery, I think you're playing with fire there. Now, with an air and a spare, as they say, I think you're laughing. He had an apartment at Le Petit Trianon for himself. Super rare, by the way. I mean, you can't go there unless she invites you. Even the king couldn't go there unless she invited him. And Axel's got an apartment? You can imagine why the tongues were wagging. I just keep thinking that the queen has got to know that the heir to the throne is not supposed to be a, um, you know, a von Fersen. Uh, even though his superior genetics can't be denied. Good casting in that movie, by the way. Oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. Super good casting. It was so beautiful. I like to think that it did happen, even though she was stepping out on her husband, which I wouldn't like, just because it was so beautiful in Sofia Coppola's movie. I know. Stepping out. You heard it here. So, let's just call Axel von Fersen an unconfirmed. Possible. But unconfirmed. He does come back to try to save her, so perhaps there was a romance, chivalric, in nature, uh, it's not a relationship. There's just no telling. Or perhaps just a very good friendship. Maybe they just really did click. About this time, she started to have some more children. As far as we know, they did not belong to Von Fersen, but they were indeed <laughs> Louis. Um, Marie is about 26 years old. She finally gives birth to the Dauphin, Louis Joseph. Yay! You know, this oldest boy, pride of France and delight of his parents, Louis Louis Joseph. Joseph. But let's talk about that title for a moment. Dauphin, which literally means dolphin in French. You weren't mistaken if you took high school French and thought, what? Where that came from was that in medieval times, there was a lord. Uh, this was before dukes and viscounts and the like of that. So let's just call him, say, an earl. It was very feudal. He wasn't an earl, but like an earl. He was in charge of vast tracts of land. Lots of people uh, worked under him. He was the boss. That's as close as we're going to get. He sold his whole fiefdom to the crown with the stipulation that the heir to the throne should always be called the Dauphin after the dolphin on this particular lord's coat of arms. And so the Dauphin also always had a dolphin on his coat of arms. 
pretty cool. Yes, and you know. Now in our story, France has a Dauphin. Yay! Been a long time coming. Yes, indeed. And then it wasn't enough to have one. She has another son. Louis Charles. Air in the spare. See, now you could sleep with Axel von Fritz. That's right. But he's already gone. Sorry. <laughs> and then a year later, she gives birth to a bookend daughter, Sophie. Well, so let us leave the little family in place in this calm, comforting, complete family life in a nice little place called the Petit Trianon in a calm Versailles in a relatively calm country and take a little break and when we come back there's going to be trouble in paradise. We would like to take this time to thank all of you who've gone the extra mile and clicked the tasteful donate button on our website. A financial contribution means so much to us and it allows us to bring this program to you. Those people include Michelle H., Cheryl, Lee, Diana, Anastasia, Donald, Constantine, Karen, Vicki, Kathleen, Barbara, Heidi, Marjorie, Amy H., Carol, Kathy, Leanne, Andrea, Alinea, Alinea, or however you pronounce it. Thanks. Thank you all. And we are back. At this point, Marie and Louis have this perfect little family, four children, king and queen, happy, happy. Um, she's kind of mellowed, like we talked about before. She's in her less flashy gowns. But unfortunately, she's totally the target for a whole lot of propaganda. The nobility, angry and not being included in social things, if they weren't in that little circle of close friends, angry at being excluded from the news of what was going on politically, Louis' advisors were, you know, stonewalling and operating as usual. Think about angry co-workers. <laughs> They're angry co-workers. They'll go tell the boss, or they'll tell Facebook or their friends anything they want about you. I mean... It starts to be like, if you are not kissing the right booties, they will turn on you. And that's exactly what started to happen. They didn't have anything else to do. They weren't allowed to do what they had been doing before. So why don't they just sit around and spread some dirt, you know, real or imagined? Rumors started to spread that she was having an affair with her friend, the Princess de Lamballe. That she was funneling money to the Austrian treasury. That she was having affairs with her husband's brothers. <laughs> that she acted indecently with Thomas Jefferson. Who could blame her? But she didn't. <laughs> no, I do not think so. Uh, although she did meet both Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin. And Adams. I love it. I do, too. What did Adams make of this court? <laughs> what? I love to think about that, actually. Like, Mr. Conservative, uh, like, oh, oh, Versailles is going to like to kill you. And then all Ben is rolling with it. Ben, ben loved Versailles. Yes. So cartoons that were called libels were plastered everywhere, always off-color, sorted, and seldom that comical, but certainly very damaging. You know, you're always needing to protect your reputation. I'm not even sure she knew it was falling apart. It's kind of inexcusable in a ruler for someone to be that disconnected from the common people, but really, it was not all that unusual. And Marie Antoinette was more clueless than most. Yeah. And I think even if she knew it was going on, she just never publicly addressed it. You know, don't give it any ammunition. You know, don't don't mm -hmm. put some fire under it and it'll go away. 
Well, a lot of the troubles of France were laid at her door. She got the unwelcome title of Madame Deficit. Now, when they start openly making fun of you in the street, you think you catch on at least then. That is a red flag. Well, and somehow a crop failure is laid at her door. Now, explain that one to me. That reminds me of, thanks, Obama. (laughs) So she controls the weather now, so that's, that's good. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, with crop failures comes flour shortages, which means that the price of bread is going to increase. Unfortunately, their taxes were also being increased, and so the pressure, the financial pressure on the common man was insane. She became the scapegoat, and that information is what was left. This is the the let-them-eat cake that has endured through the centuries. At this point in time, I I really hope that everybody knows that she never really said that. That was just, she was a victim of propaganda. And it was a clever phrase because it lasted for a very long time. Yes. Yeah. So if you see the new Peabody and Sherman, don't let them fool you. There was no cake. She never said a thing otherwise. I know, but after that, you're like, oh, now I'm going to have to take this with a grain of salt. I know. My kid was even like, wait, she didn't say that. You said she didn't say that. I'm like, she didn't say that. Something even more damaging than the cake rumor was the diamond necklace affair. <sighs> okay. Basically, what happened here is that a woman named Jean Lamont convinced a man who was trying to get into the Queen's favor that she was a close friend of the Queen, even though they had never actually met, and he believed her. She said that the Queen really wanted this extraordinarily expensive necklace, which had almost 650 diamonds on it. It's worth about, would have been worth about $5 million today. But she was too embarrassed to ask Louis to buy it for her. But could this man buy the necklace and then Marie Antoinette would pay her back? The man bought it. <laughs> they had a couple people, you know, it was a con in the classic sense. They had people that come in pretending to be dressed like her, pretending to be her footman. So he went and got the necklace and he delivered it to a man who was claiming to be her footman. But no, 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 no. He was part of the con and he took off. When he went to go get payment for Marie Antoinette, she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What necklace? I never. So he is on the hook for $5 million of modern money for this necklace that no longer exists. So the jeweler got the shaft. (laughs) The Lamotts got the diamonds. And Marie Antoinette got the bad publicity. So basically, Marie Antoinette's name was dragged through the mud, even though she literally had nothing to do with it. She had nothing, can we say that again, nothing to do with it. But it's like one of those headlines and those rags that are in the grocery store. It sounded true because she was, she was greedy, right? She was corrupt, right? She liked diamonds, right? Right. It must, there must be a little bit of truth. Where there's smoke, there's fire. But honestly, there's no fire. It was all smoke. And even when the police, they caught up to her, and Lamont is actually branded, I mean like a physical brand and thrown in jail, the Pressure was still on Marie that that was all her fault. There was a movie covering this incident, if you want to see it, called The Affair of the Necklace, and it stars Hilary Swank. So Marie Antoinette tried to counter with some propaganda of her own. She commissioned a famous painter, Madame Viguet Lebrun, to paint a portrait of herself as a mother with her four children. Uh, the painting was hung, the painting was taken down, and baby Sophie was painted out because she died. She was... Let before her first birthday. So now we're down to three children. And honestly, that sort of propaganda, that was too little, too late anyway. 
And as if that were not enough, Louis and his advisors could not find any way to piece this freaking crumbling country back together. He had to call a meeting, an unprecedented in a century meeting of representatives from all levels of society. They say all. I don't think they mean peasants. No. All respectable, clean-ish levels of society called the Estates General. Now, this had not been done in over 150 years. That's how bad the situation was. But he had no choice. He didn't know what else to do. Yeah, what a time to be daring and radical, though. I know. It's like, aw, man. He's just been doing around on the throne up until now. and Oops. More bad news, unfortunately. Marie Antoinette's own little dolphin, the Dauphin, died of tuberculosis at the age of nine, leaving his parents broken and even more ineffective than usual. Within two years, two years before, they'd had this perfect little family of four children. Now suddenly, they've only got two. I mean, how sad, how crushing for a woman who really did adore her children. So the Estates General were getting down on the monarchy, down with all these policies. Perhaps those were rumblings of getting rid of these leeches, these drains on society altogether. You kind of hear that in Britain, you know, like, why are we paying these people, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a little bit like that. It wasn't super serious quite yet. No, but it escalated quickly. Yes, and then maybe her one and only quote, successful political move, Marie Antoinette and friends, not just Marie Antoinette, persuaded the king to replace the prime minister, the leader of the Estates General, with the prophetic name of Necker. I swear to you, that's his name. (laughs) Oh, not making that up. With a loyal royalist, which I want you to say three times, loyal royalist. Loyal royalist? Once, Uh, I can do it once. (laughs) So they replaced Necker with their own candidate. Um, And this guy, well, Paris was running wild with the idea that this guy was about to turn France's army loose on the city. And vague, simmering unrest kind of turned into action. So unfortunately, her one chess piece that she decided to play, politically speaking, lit the fire of the revolution. Exactly. She was, it was about a month after the death of her son, so she's still in mourning. But now we've come to July 14th, 1789. Think back to your history classes. What happened on that day? Half-priced frog legs and frites <laughs> and all the champagne you can drink. Is that Wee, what happened? That's what happened. Yeah. Um, an angry mob stormed a state prison called the Bastille. They were after not necessarily the seven prisoners that were inside, but they were looking for the weapons that were in there. And the courtiers hearing this news ran like rats out of a sinking ship. So... We've gotten to what I'm very afraid is the last not-so-good chapter in our story. No, it's not. Her mother dies, sadly, so she never saw her mother again. Even though she was afraid of her, she still loved her mother, and she died. Her son had died. Her country is in ruins. The people are organizing and getting quite ugly. So here we are back at Versailles, that jewel box of a palace that is not secure at all, theoretically guarded by the Swiss guards, but in fact, a big piece of Swiss cheese with holes all over the place. See what I did there? Ah, ah, clever. The mood was bad. The mood was very bad. And a rumor, oh, our old friend rumor, goes around that the royal family's hoarding all the grain stores. And a whole bunch of people hit the highway to Versailles. It's only 20 miles, and if you're determined and full of anger 
and adrenaline 20 miles that's no problem and enabled by all of those around you who are you know brandishing their sickles and any weapon that they could have they're walking to versailles well marie antoinette wanted to run take the children and at least retire to a more secure palace if not fleeing the country entirely but louis insisted they stay louis why <laughs> why because he couldn't figure out how to leave oh my god you know you just get on a get in the freaking carriage well, who's going to put the carriage together? Who gets in the carriage first? Who rides in which carriage? I like to kill you, so protocol killed you. <laughs> protocol killed you, Louie. Just take that lesson from this adventure. So thousands of people converged outside the palace. In the wee hours of the morning, the crowd broke in, massacring the Swiss guards, uh, as many as they could get a hold of, and rampaging through the palace. Rampaging. Marie Antoinette and her two attendants barely made it out. Uh, uh, it was a hidden door, luckily, mm -hmm. that the common people hadn't seen before. Superb. They were able to close it. It looked like a wall. And they had time to get to the king's bedroom, where everybody barricaded themselves in as the crowd screamed outside. With the crowd screaming for them outside the palace, Marie decides to go out on the balcony. They called for her to come out, and she did. She came out first with the children, but when she saw in the crowd that people were pointing muskets upward... She sent the children back inside. Yeah, that was no place for kids. And she's listening to them. I mean, it was angry, and it was all directed at her. So she bows. But she them. stands there for ten minutes mm -hmm. first. And, let, and she takes it. And just regards them calmly. Like, I'm listening to you. Okay, I'm Can you imagine you. how scary that was? Maybe she was terrified. I mean, she's frozen. I don't know. And then she bowed her head to them. She bowed to them. And some people in the crowd yelled, Viva la Reine! Long live the Queen! After her, because these people are freaking crazy. They don't know what they want. <laughs> they were taken by the mob to the Palace of the Tuileries, where the royal family did keep an apartment ready for those times. They went to the opera or whatnot, but the true occupants had really been the servants and their families, basically just um, squatting there. Mm -hmm. uh, let's just live here. The owners never come. You know, it's fabulous. They're clearly prisoners here, under the eyeballs of the authorities, and the king is suffering from extreme depression, which everyone delights in saying is drunkenness. Just gleefully, the kindness doesn't stop. Marie Antoinette's obviously poisoning the king, that's why he looks like that, so she can put his brother, who she's really in love with, on the throne. Stop with the crazy cockamamie <laughs> stories. Let it go. He's a mess. Everybody's a mess. They're making concession after concession. He's giving inches. They're taking more inches. They're taking miles. There was an escape attempt headed by Axel. Shows up. And, and they actually get away from the Tuileries. They, they get going. But unfortunately, a bit down the road, they're recognized. They were aiming for the Austrian border. They didn't make it. Yeah, just a little bit of miscommunication. And they got caught and brought back and put in real jail this time. There, but for a reliable cell phone network, go they. <laughs> what a wonderful ending it would have been, though. I mean, if she sees the Austrian border and she crosses it, you know, kind of like in The Sound of Music. Uh, but no. There had been some rumbling at some point about Austria coming to the aid of this family. Mm -hmm. But honestly, by then, her brother, Joseph, had died. And the heir had never met his aunt. Ever. His emotional ties to Marie Antoinette were not that close. Yeah, and at first he said that he would take, he would do whatever, you know, his father had done, but no. And you know why, honestly, you're not going to get involved in a situation this big if mm -hmm. you don't have to. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so unfortunately, they kind of let her swing there. There was some sort of a trial, honestly, a mockery of a trial of the king. This whole movement might have begun with some radicals in the estates general, but it, it sure devolved quickly into mob rule, a witch hunt. The night before he's actually executed, he had been given a choice. He could have, he could see his children, or they could be with their mother, but they couldn't do both. I mean, these captors were very cruel to them, and he decided to not see the children so they could stay with their mom. And the next day, he is brought to the guillotine. I'm sure you've all seen this contraption, the tall framework with this long diagonal blade. This thing was actually invented as a more humane way to execute people, because what you had before was the axe man. And was the axe man in a good mood that day? Had he had some drinks? Was he any good? Was it his first day? Is it sharp? You just don't know. No. It could be a hack job. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was not even a courtesy laugh. No. <laughs> that was really sad. Uh, it was invented to make these things a little more, you know, linear, but I think the ease of killing people led to a lot more bloodshed than there would have been had you had to rely on the good old axe man. A lot of places say that Dr. Guillotine invented it, and he didn't really, but he was just a big advocate of this humane way. I mean, he's a doctor, he's, and his name gets associated with this contraption. Later in life, he, he wanted nothing to do with it. And he didn't die at the guillotine. No, he died as an old man in his bed, bitterly regretting that he'd ever advocated for such an instrument, as it led to such terror. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Louis has died. They were married for about 23 years. Marie Antoinette is in prison with her daughter, Maria Therese, her son, Louis, age eight, and her sister-in-law, Elizabeth, who's King Louis's younger sister, you know, her Mm sister-in-law. This is the part, uh, as the mother of a small child, I can't bear it. I'm just telling you. They take the little son away almost immediately and separate him from his mother. Now, think about it from their perspective. The second papa dies, that is the king. Right. Yeah, you don't have to have a coronation. Mm -hmm. Technically, by tradition, they've taken the king. And he is within, you guys, he's within hearing distance of his mother. And he's put in the care of this roughneck shoemaker cobbler guy. And they teach him, oh, it's so funny. They teach him revolutionary songs. And they get him drunk. And they get him to say things against the monarchy. And they beat him and yell at him and scare him. And he would just cry and cry. And here's his mother listening, listening to him cry, and she can't do a thing about it, and he's eight years old. Eight. I will never celebrate Bastille Day. I'm telling you right now, I will never. It makes me mad. Yeah. He has nothing to do with this. I'm so... Mm. And the Princess de Limbo had come out of safety, and uh, she was recognized and caught and put in jail, and after her mock trial, they shoved her outside and let the crowd take care of her. Take care is not a, it's not, no. uh, it's not good. No. They didn't come for her. a pack of wolves. Yeah. And literally her head was put on a pike, that's a long stick, and raised up by the windows of Marie Antoinette on purpose to torture her. But the story is that the guards, bless them for small mercies, I suppose, had closed the shutters and told her what was going on and that they wouldn't let her go by the windows. They said they are trying to show you the head of Madame Limbaugh. And she fainted. Just at the news of that. And so the only <laughs> the only thing they really ever did was prevent her from literally seeing it. But they did close the shutters. And they wouldn't let her look out the window. So, you know, tiny, small humanity. you got to take it when you get it. Yeah. 
One by one, the privileges go. The clothes aren't replenished. The linens aren't washed. The furniture gets taken away. Just this slide into hell. She's put on trial. Another sham trial, the likes of which we've not seen since, what, Anne Boleyn? Yeah, um, that's true. They brought forth this scenario they cooked up about Marie Antoinette taking liberties with her small son, to which she appealed to the women in the audience, the mothers, you know, examine your hearts, and you will know this is just not possible. And the women were beginning to come around, but, you know, doesn't matter. Yeah, a bunch of women in a courtroom aren't going to do what they... She walked into that court and she was guilty. They just had to find a reason. Just, or not. They just had to go through yeah, the process. Right. Right. So poor, broken Marie Antoinette, her hair was cut off. She was put into a cart called a tumbrel, like a wagon with a cage on top, I guess. And everyone was spitting on her on the way through the streets. Now, how far was this from that jeweled, sky blue, golden velvet carriage that she had ridden into France in? By the time she got to the guillotine, she was ready for the whole thing to be over with. She tripped going up the stairs over the executioner's foot. Who was a fourth-generation executioner? Good to keep it in the family. That's right. Um, and she said, I, sorry, monsieur, I did not do it on purpose. That was the last thing she ever said. Her head was cut off October 16th, 1793. Uh, Marie Antoinette was only 37. And that was the end of her life, but not her legacy. A little update here. The Duchess de Polignac, safe in Switzerland with her children, um, died right afterward of what was then said to be heartbreak. That's super dramatic, but it's now thought to have been cancer. Mm -hmm. She was only 44, so neither of her best friends really made it past this event either. Not at all. Her body was actually put in a mass grave, in a very common grave, until 1815 when they were dug up and placed in a royal crypt. So she, you know, unceremoniously dumped. Marie Antoinette's daughter survived, but not her son, who died two years afterward of what they called jail fever. They say it might be tuberculosis. The names are pretty vague. There was a rash of fake dauphins afterwards. There was all kinds of rumors that he had been escaped and he, or he had been replaced with another child. And without DNA evidence, they couldn't prove that these were true. They actually looked into him. John Audubon. The Birdman? Yeah. He was considered one of them, perhaps. Which was interesting. An Episcopal minister in Wisconsin, a German clockmaker, got his claim all the way to the point where he was allowed to take on the name Bourbon. Bourbon. But no. This is something crazy. The doctor, during Louis, baby Louis, autopsy, stole his heart. You heard me. Gruesome souvenir or homage, I just don't know. He had it for a long time. It passed to one of his students. It knocked around in the medical community in France for a while. And in 2004, the heart is mounted in a crystal jar, exhibited. His tiny, tortured, broken heart is in a jar. It looks like a rock. You can still see it. I don't like to think about this. <laughs> I know. It's... I'm horrified by this. And I have to okay. tell you, I feel the same way about the child mummies at the Field Museum in Chicago. Oh, uh-huh. Like, their mothers did not say goodbye to them years ago to see them on a shelf looked at. But the whole thing's finally been put to rest at least in a cathedral, the Cathedral of Saint-Denis, where his parents are, at least. And there are some great statues of Marie Antoinette and her husband, Louis, who are portrayed kind of startlingly via statuary mm -hmm. as victims, martyrs of the revolution. Oh, how times have changed. Definitely. Um, and so their son is there with them now. And it was actually DNA evidence from that heart that determined that, in fact, yes, Joe Fenn had died at the age of 10 so long ago, and all of the fake Louis 
could be absolutely disregarded. The line is over. There's no one now that's directly descended from Marie Antoinette. But at the time, she still had an orphan daughter, Maria Therese, who was very unhappy and bitter. She did grow up to be married off to the Dauphin, and she actually became the Queen of France for about as long as it took him to um, abdicate. Yeah, 20 minutes or so through this series of events that we won't go into here. There's a there's an emperor, there's not, there's a king, uh, you know. Technically, she was the queen for as long as it took her husband to read this paperwork and sign it. <laughs> and she died in exile. Yeah. I mean, she didn't wasn't even in France. At 73. I mean, that is a long time to live a bitter life. Hmm. Oh, very sad. So that's all we have about the relatively short, fabulous to tragic life of Marie Antoinette. Now, you know the legacy lives on. Of any legacy there is. Except for the cake thing, which makes me mad. <laughs> um, that still lives on. Yeah, it does live on. Undeniably. Um, so you know this is going to horrify me. Like, Archie McPhee or one of those places, you can buy a Marie Antoinette action figure with a removable head. That's nice and tasteful. Hmm. <laughs> nice. I must recommend, though... I know some must disagree with me. Sofia Coppola's 2006 movie, and I was going to say Lost in Translation. I literally <laughs> wrote down Lost in Translation. I mean, of course, her movie Marie Antoinette. But there is a Lost in Translation connection to that movie. Due to admiration of her fabulous Lost in Translation with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson, go see it. I bet it's on Netflix. Sofia Coppola was therefore allowed to film at Versailles unprecedentedly. <laughs> Although afterward, when the movie came out, the French government deemed it Versailles in Hollywood sauce. Yeah, she put contemporary music with the movie. If you haven't seen it, really, you should. It, it, there's a few historical inaccuracies to it, but it loves me in time and time again because for the very reason that we like a lot of movies, the high production value. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. And you do get to see Versailles, and you do get to see the clothing that that she wore. It's very accurately depicted. You can go back, if you wish, to Norma Shearer as Marie Antoinette in a 1938 movie called Marie Antoinette. Um, you can get some snippets on YouTube, and probably they'll be quite enough, because there's inspiring dialogue, and I quote, and I really think I've got the <laughs> accent down. Oh, Mama! Just think of it. I shall be queen of France. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but inspired casting on Axel von Fersen, that Tyrone Power is a handsome man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, so there you go. You've really gotten the Cliff's Notes version of that yeah, movie. You don't even need to look at the YouTube clips. Of course, you can uh, learn, uh, learn <laughs> more about the French Revolution through Les Mis, which my teenage daughter is like, in their fandom. She quotes it all the time, which is interesting to me. That's um, from the other side, though. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I know, but it's good to have the balance. It is. And plus, it's a fantastic movie or play. And there was a 2012 movie called Farewell, My Queen. It is available through uh, Netflix only on DVD. It is French with subtitles, so you do have to read it. Um, it was filmed at Versailles, but it shows a more gritty servant side of... of the whole thing. Marie Antoinette is, of course, in it, but it's basically the story of Marie and the Duchess de Pontiac, and they are alluded to be 
lovers in this movie, so it is rated R. Don't let the kids see it. Um, <laughs> but there, there is a, it's eluded. That's all I'm going to say. Um, the fashion is spot on. There's very high production values. The Netflix description is way, way off. So it starts at Bastille Day and it ends at the end. And it's told through one of her servants. It's a good movie. I thought it was a very good movie. I, cool. I did enjoy it. So the website for Versailles itself is fabulous. But if you ever get a chance to go there yourself, which I highly recommend, um, weirdly enough, Rick Steves, he of the unfortunate pleated khaki pants, is a travel impresario. You know, TV shows, books. He has a podcast where you can download a real-time walkthrough of Versailles. So when you get there, press play. And he literally walks you through, including, uh, like, when you're walking, say, from the house to the Petit Trianon, they've estimated how long it's going to take you, and they've provided you with period-appropriate traveling music. That's lovely. It's kind of good. There is a fabulous website uh, about the etiquette of Versailles that I will link you to, and also the Costumer's Manifesto. Oh. Which really is applicable to any podcast we do. Absolutely. You should just go look at it. Just bookmark it. It's a really great site. And the ubiquitous madameguillotine.org, where you will find everything related to Marie Antoinette and friends. Also, Marie Antoinette's Gossip Guide to the 18th Century. It has been recently redone. It's very polished and professional looking now, but you'll get a lot of articles about art, fashion, and music of the times. And... this is silly, but your kids might like it. I liked it, and I guess I think like a kid. But it's called dolldivine.com, and you have a dress-up virtual doll of Marie Antoinette. And you can change the backgrounds and the clothes. It's just kind of a goofy little thing, but it's I thought it was really fun. <laughs> and if I could give myself a shameless Pinterest plug, I will say of all the boards on our page, this lady is the easiest to pin for. She's been the inspiration for designers, for fashion, for art, for interior decor. So gardening, you know, there's a lot of things that I can choose from. So I highly recommend going to our Pinterest page and then checking out the Marie Antoinette board. And then kind of also the Duchess of Devonshire board, curiously, because they were living at the same time and were in fact pen pals. So it's mm-hmm. another sort of interesting little rabbit hole you could fall down. If you like one, you probably like the other. And in another moment of self-promotion, um, you can go to bio.com and see four Marie Antoinette-themed mini-documentaries that Becca and I participated in. They're, well, three minutes apiece, but they're on Marie Antoinette, La Petite Leonon, The Affair of the Necklace, and Louis Fourteenth. Yes, we were called, and we flew to New York, and we went to the A&E offices, and... It was fun. It was super fun. I would like to do that again. There's also a Smithsonian page that covers Marie Antoinette's life pretty thoroughly, so I'll um, I'll add that to my link list. Now, as to books, I would be remiss. Of course, we've all read Antonia Fraser, Marie Antoinette, The Journey. That was actually the book that Sofia Coppola based her movie on, which is why it ends so abruptly when they leave Versailles. <laughs> There's none of the bad parts. (laughs) So if you don't like the bad parts, that's the book for you. Now, there's a behind-the-scenes book that I think is super good. Madame Campon, who was, in fact, a lady-in-waiting to Marie Antoinette, published a book called Memoirs of the Court of Marie Antoinette. And it's billed as um, a gift for her children so that they will know what actually happened. And it's very sympathetic to the Queen. 
Um, and it's a nice, I think it's a nice read to get a behind the scenes, what really happened kind of picture mm-hmm. of the life. I also um, read a book that I, I like, uh, Marie Antoinette by Joan Haslip. There was um, lots of, again, like uh, the journey, there's lots of details that you just can't say in an hour-long podcast, two-hour-long podcast. <laughs> um, and there is a new book that I didn't get, and although I did preview it on Amazon, and I wished I could have, it's called Marie Antoinette's Head, The Royal Hairdresser, The Queen and the Revolution by Will Baser. And it looks really good. I wish I'd gotten my hands on it, but didn't. The Untold Story of Leonard. I know. I can't wait. An amazing book on Versailles itself. Tony Spofforth's Versailles, The History of a Palace is amazing. It shows you parts that aren't there anymore. In fact, we're gone by the time Marie Antoinette got there. The, the protocols in place is just fascinating. The history behind why things happened the way they did. It's a beautiful book. It's a hardcover, suitable for gift-giving, really. I mean, I would say I admire oh, yeah. it that much. It's a really pretty book. It is really pretty. And um, I have to give it a meh, but there is a Horrible Histories. And I think it's a solid 4 out of 10. There was a really um, cute video on history.com. It was a song um, by a man named Jeffrey Lewis, and it's about the French Revolution, and it's all done. It's rhymy, and it's really cute, actually. It has a line like, they put it to a vote and dropped it on his throat, and every king across the world just had a heart attack, which actually works in the song. I'm not singing. But that's the kind of words. It's, I thought it was really cute. <laughs> and so that is where we leave our friend Marie Antoinette. So fabulous. Yet so tragic. Marie Antoinette lives on as the symbol of all that was wrong with the aristocracy of France. Because she followed the packet for Versailles and was blind to what her own people were enduring, she paved her own way to the gallows. Thanks for listening. Bye.